0: Hello again. This is Anthony Day. Greenwash? What is it? And does it affect our businesses? Well, this is what I told an audience in Leeds last week. It was a dark and stormy night. Now, before I go on, let me explain exactly where I'm coming from. As uh, Matt has told you, I was actually at the bottom of the agenda here doing a workshop, which is what I've prepared. So, what I intend to do is an introduction, and then after that, hopefully we can break into a discussion and extend that into the question and answer session. Of course, if we don't have any questions, we'll have a really long networking session over coffee. So, it was a dark and stormy night. It was dark, anyway. Possibly not stormy because it was July. The five burglars worked furtively, afraid of discovery. They were not ordinary burglars. They were there not to take things away, but to put things back, to leave things behind. Before long, their worst fears were realised. An alert security man had noticed doors which were open which shouldn't be open, had called the police, and the five burglars were arrested. The five burglars arrested in the Watergate Hotel in the act of breaking in to the Democratic campaign headquarters in order to install listening devices, in order to bug the the Democratic presidential campaign. And that was the start of possibly the biggest failure of news management in the 20th century. The start of a major whitewash campaign. And as fast as people tried to whitewash this event, the press and the public peeled the whitewash back and found even more things which shouldn't have been going on. Found even more powerful people in the Republican establishment who were actually applying the whitewash. Until eventually, they found that the biggest pot of whitewash and the biggest brush was wielded by none other than Richard Milhouse Nixon, the President of the United States. And from July 1972, this thing unraveled, and by August 1974... Richard Milhouse Nixon became the first President of the United States to resign. Now, that was whitewash. And he didn't resign because some people went in and tried to bug the Democrats in the Watergate Hotel. He resigned because the way the, ma- the, the news was managed was totally counterproductive and the whole thing got out of hand. And so it could with greenwash. What is greenwash? Well, originally, greenwash was the term used for presenting something in an environmentally responsible way. But very soon, it's changed to become a pejorative term. So that if you talk about greenwash, people think it's something that's presented in an environmentally responsible way, which isn't environmentally responsible at all. And of course, the press and public opinion like to find these things because the higher people are the further they have to fall I think there's somebody in New York who knows that only too well at the moment let me give you an example which in fact uh, comes from I think the early 90s when um, (coughs) Greenwash wasn't even coined this was a controversy involving an oil company and a lot of people think oil companies now they're the target aren't they oil companies because they produce oil and they produce gas and they produce CO2 And that's an absolute no-no. That's what a lot of environmental activists say, but it is a little bit naive because we aren't going to stop using gas tomorrow. We aren't going to stop using oil tomorrow. We are totally dependent on energy. And while we might want to reduce and eventually eliminate these things, we are not going to do it for decades. But while we are still dependent on these things, I feel we have got to support those companies in doing what they have to do as environmentally as possible. Well, you may remember the Brent Spa in the 1990s. The Brent Spa was an oil platform of a sort in the North Sea run by Shell. And it had come to the end of its useful life. So Shell commissioned independent experts to carry out a survey, a study, to decide what the best way of disposing of this installation would be. And they came to the conclusion that the best thing to do environmentally would be to tow it out into the Atlantic and drop it in two and a half kilometres of water. So Shell went to the British government and said, we've got this plan, we've got these uh, experts, and we plan to go ahead and do it. Can we have your permission? And the British government said, yes, go ahead. And Shell went to the European governments and said, this is our plan, if you have any objections, will you please let us know? And everything was in place to dispose of the Brent Spa and then Greenpeace came along and Greenpeace said this is uh, out and out pollution of the seas there's all sorts of toxic chemicals there's hundreds of tons of oil it's all going to go to the bottom of the sea and it's going to pollute the oceans and this will only be the thin end of the wedge and then Greenpeace, as they do, got their boats and they went out to the Brent Spar and they uh, uh, occupied it and Shell turned fire hoses on them and Greenpeace filmed it all and submitted all this film to the uh, to the news media and uh, they took over the news agenda. Greenpeace took over the news agenda. They showed themselves as fighting for the environment and being repelled by this bully of an oil company with its fire hoses and everything else. And then the politicians started turning around and the Germans who hadn't said anything at all turned around and said well we don't think this should happen. And international opinion got stronger and stronger and eventually Shell back down and said, all right, we will take it ashore and we'll cut it up. Now, then Greenpeace admitted that in fact they'd got their figures wrong and there wasn't, well, they'd claimed that there was a hundred times more oil in this rig than there actually was. So the problem is that greenwash is a matter of perception. It doesn't have to be a matter of truth. It doesn't have to be a matter of accuracy. We are all in the hands, to a large extent, of the media and if we don't counter what the media say with the truth, when we are in the position of the truth, then we may be very, very vulnerable. Another example which is not directly related um, to uh, oil or, uh, is uh, Monsanto and the the GM foods debate. Monsanto lost the GM foods debate in Europe very thoroughly and it... And their business suffered for it. Now you may say, "Well, so they should because GM foods are nasty and so on and so on." But I would think, I would say that the that the two sides of the GM debate were not given equal time. It was a very clever and successful press campaign, and if you are on the receiving end of it, then it's a very difficult thing to to deal with. Again, there are claims or. At the moment, there's a controversy north of York about the incinerator. First it was going to go in York, then it was going to go somewhere further up in North Yorkshire, now it's closer into York, and people are saying, no, no, we don't want an incinerator. But there are two sides to incinerators. Yes, they do have emissions of some type, but these emissions are very, very closely controlled. If you don't have an an incinerator, what do you do with the rubbish? We know that we can't landfill, we know that we're running out of space for landfilling, Yes, we recycle, but there are very successful incinerators, there's one down the road in Huddersfield, which sorts all the waste, and it's only the stuff that can't be recycled that goes into the furnace, producing nine megawatts of electricity, and has the capacity to provide hot water for district heating. So there are two sides to these things. And we need to realise that there are some very powerful voices who are not necessarily well informed. So... What are the risks? Well, the risks are when you claim to be green and you're not. And when you're not particularly thinking about whether you're green or not, but somebody comes along and does some investigation and and accuses you of not being green. Let's look at people who claim to be green. I might be getting on slightly shaky ground here, but I believe that Aeon, the electricity company, is actually got its head well above the parapet and is making claims that are difficult to substantiate. Have you seen the E.ON commercial, which has the tagline, bring the power of nature into your home? And we have all these people in a very high wind. And it gives the impression that E.ON is the one that's providing green electricity. So they're the one to go with. Let me just show you some figures, or rather, let me show you a graph this is the energy which comes into the UK economy. And I haven't checked the pens, but it does work. So if we do a pie chart like this, and uh, this is a circle, I hope, the, um, we get 19% of the energy which comes into the British economy. 19% is coal we still rely to a very large extent on coal and incidentally most of it comes from Russia far more than we dig out the ground here 33% of the energy which comes into this economy is oil 33% Thirty. percent which is somewhere about like that, is gas. And we are importing increasing amounts of gas from Russia and other places like that. Then we have 7% of the energy in this economy, which is nuclear. 7%. So that leaves us with this bit here, which is 2%, which is renewables. The point is that renewables are a very, very small fraction. And it worries me when people say we're carbon neutral, we're green because we buy environmentally friendly electricity. Because there just isn't enough to go round. And E.ON... Yes, it has some wind farms. But have you heard about the Kings North Power Station? The Kings North Power Station, which is about to be given permission to, uh, to be built, that'll be the first coal fired power station in the country for 20 years. That's being built by E.ON. A coal fired power station. It's a coal gasification plant with, a, with a, the ability to manage the, um, the emissions and to produce in a totally different way. So that proves your point. Okay. A, a very environmentally friendly move. Well, it's environmentally friendly in a way. It is designed for retrofitting of carbon capture technology. Carbon capture technology is not currently commercially viable anywhere in the world. There are no timescales on when it should be installed. There is no agreement on who's actually going to pay for the... Okay. There are two sides. Well, all right. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Well, we'll we'll, we'll discuss later on. But yes. Okay. So that's an organisation which has got its head above the parapet. It's green. There are other organisations like the supermarkets, like Marks and Spencers, which you mentioned earlier, which have all got their heads above the parapet to some extent because it's a defensive move. If one supermarket says we are going to be green, all the rest have got to as well. And if they say we're green, then there's lots and lots of people out there who are going to check that what they're saying is actually true. The thing is that there's a lot of um, environmentalists and pressure groups and people who can spend their free time looking in detail into the claims of these organisations, the claims of your organisations perhaps. They're out there, so we have to be ready and we have to be prepared to counter accusations that we may receive with the truth. I have to say that I think the biggest example of greenwash is the government. I really do. We had an environmental budget yesterday when they're deferring the 2p increase on fuel for six months. I think there's going to be another half p on fuel in 2009. Well, in the context of fuel going up by, what, 30 pence in the last 12 months... It doesn't really, doesn't really register, does it? Yes, it's a good idea to get rid of plastic bags, because, of course, plastic bags are using uh, a petroleum resource, which is finite, and the, uh, the rubbish that they cause, the, the, you know, when they blow out of the tips and all that sort of thing, is absolutely dreadful. It's something that we should do. We should encourage people to take their shopping bags with them and not take these plastic bags. But it's only a minor part. It's only a minor part. And what else did the government say they would do? they're going to think about road pricing. Well, they thought about it last week and said they weren't going to do it for a while. The trouble is that there are so many people who are in favour of being green and going green, except when it hits them in the pocket, that the government isn't prepared to do anything because the government wants to stay in office. If only we had a consensus, a firm commitment between all three parties that they would take sensible environmental action, come what may so the voters could not get rid of those policies, then we might make some progress. But we are nowhere near at the moment. The Carbon Trust, for example. The Carbon Trust provides advice to business on being greener and, in particular, in reducing CO2 emissions. It has a budget of £120 million a year, which is being cut because I think DEFRA is in some sort of difficulty. It manages to reduce carbon emissions in this country by about half percent. Now that's a half percent reduction. That's not a half percent net reduction. That's simply making it half percent less than it ought uh, than it than it would be otherwise. It's probably growing. But if the government claims that we are going to cut our emissions by what? 20% by 2020, 60 or even 80% by 2050, what they're doing now is nowhere near It's just not making any difference at all. That's greenwash, if anything is. And I wouldn't defend them. Well, what happens if you don't claim to be green, but people come along, or don't ostensibly claim to be green, but people come along and say, well, you're not as green as you ought to be? You may be asked, you may be criticised. And in some cases, uh, as was mentioned earlier, if you're going out for a tender, then The NHS in particular and probably other public bodies have now got a section saying, what is your environmental policy? Have you got ISO 14001? So you have to respond to those things. But I think one of the most important points that came out of the preceding presentation is that being green, being environmentally responsible, has got to be a corporate ethos. Everybody in the company has to buy into it. Everybody in the company has to understand why your organisation has an environmental policy and what it means. And ideally, you should give them assistance in uh, extending this best practice to their own private lives. Because nothing is worse than having a policy at the top, a document, maybe ISO 14001 and all sorts of good ideas, But the people at the customer interface saying well I know it costs more but it's this bloody environmental policy you know if you go down there you can get it for a lot cheaper. Which happens we have to get the whole of the organisation behind us. You need to avoid accusations of greenwash. You need to protect yourselves against the consequences of those accusations. But at the same time there's a competitive advantage in being green and being seen to be green. After this we had a good discussion, but unfortunately I can't bring it to you because we didn't have a roving microphone. Anyway, if you'd like to talk to me about Greenwash, or about climate change and energy and sustainability and how they may affect your business, do give me a call. My name's Anthony Day, my number is 01904654986 or you can contact me through the website which is www.antony-day.com let's talk soon